hey everybody and welcome to episode 5 of the Memento podcast. See, here at Washington Avenue, we um, understand that sometimes we forget who we are and sometimes we forget what we're supposed to do and sometimes we even forget what we talked about on Sunday mornings. And so the Memento podcast is here to help remedy that by reminding you who you are and what you're supposed to do and um, reminding you about what we talked about on Sunday. This is week five of the Memento podcast. We're going to be diving into Ephesians chapter 1 verses 18 through 23. Um, let's go ahead and read that and we'll, uh, we'll go from there. So uh, 18 uh, is one of those terrible verses where they just picked up right in the middle of a sentence. And so it's going to start like I, it's going to sound like I'm starting in the middle of a sentence and it's because I am. So here we go. Having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which God has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the work of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he, that is God, put all things under his, that is Jesus' feet, and gave him, Jesus, as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fits, or fills, rather, all in all. I want to start off today just by asking a simple, simple question. What is, what is the most powerful thing that you've ever felt? Um, I don't know, maybe you were uh, in a really severe car accident and just like the G-forces um, just really were a really powerful experience for you. I, I remember I was in a, a car accident actually uh, April of 2020 and uh, it wasn't even that bad really. Um, I don't guess, I don't know. I don't know what's a bad car wreck. Any car wreck is a bad car wreck, but... Um, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't like rolling, flipping, flying car wreck, but, um, I hit a, I hit a guy really hard and it wasn't my fault. It was his. Um, but I remember thinking like, holy smokes, like that was really scary. Like that was really powerful. And I wasn't going that fast, I guess. I don't know. Um, my first thoughts were, man, I'm, I'm glad Samantha and Janessa weren't in the car with me. Cause that would have been really, really scary. Um, I remember another time I was, uh, riding with my dad and if you know my dad, he's a, he's a car guy and, uh, we have a, um, a muscle car, a Mopar, um, Plymouth Roadrunner. And it, uh, at the time had a 440 inch, uh, cubic inch, uh, motor in it, which is a, just a massive motor. And we were out driving one day and he just, um, looked around and realized that the, uh, the highway was clear. We were all by ourselves. And so he just put his foot on the floor. And I remember just like being pinned to the back of the chair by just the force of the vehicle. Um, there's a lot of things in our world that are really, really powerful. And um, cars and car accidents um, aren't even the most powerful thing in the world. You know, you can think about like, you know, dynamite, which is the word that we get power from in the Greek, um, dunamis. Think about even things bigger than dynamite, like, I don't know, a nuclear bomb, or there's all kinds of things that are powerful. So what is, what is the most powerful thing that you have ever felt? Um, think about that for just a second, and, and then let me uh, ruin your party by uh, maybe reminding you of something that's really, really obvious, and that God's power is greater than that. So, so maybe uh, with that in mind, the better question is, what, what is 
the greatest manifestation of God's power. And when you think about um, what we know about God's power in the Bible, um, there were some really incredible manifestations or like uh, flexes of God's power, you know, like a creation where God literally spoke and everything that is or was or will be came into existence. But that's not God's greatest manifestation of his power. And it wasn't the flood and it wasn't the 10 plagues and it wasn't the exodus or the parting of the Red Sea. It wasn't any of the things that we see in the Bible. The greatest and uh, manifestation of God's power that we see in the Bible is Jesus. Specifically, it was the resurrection of Jesus. And, and, th- and that's what Paul wants us to know here. Um, we need to remind ourselves that we're still in the midst of a prayer here, right? Paul is still praying for us all the way back. He started in verse 15 praying for us and he tells the church like, hey, I'm praying for you. And then he dives into this prayer about what he's praying for them about. And we talked last week about what uh, it might look like if you were to just not just say that you're praying for people, but also um, like praying for them and also like letting them know, hey, we're praying for you. And this is specifically what we're praying about for you. That's what Paul is doing here. And so we pick up in verse 13 with um, a transition where God, uh, where Paul shifts the reader's focus to the power of God. And he's talked about what he wants us to experience and the ways in which he wants us to experience those things in the first previous verses. But now he's really focused in on the power of God. And, and in this small prayer, um, just these few verses, he gives us four things that are the four proofs of God's power. These are the biggest manifestations of God's power. And Jim talked about them on Sunday. It's my job here today to remind you of those things. So the first thing that Paul uh, gives as a proof for God's power is that God raised Jesus from the dead. This was not like a resuscitation, right? It wasn't like he was mostly dead. Um, it wasn't that um, he, uh, you know, had just passed out or anything like that. This was this was a full on resurrection. Um, And I don't even want you to think about resurrection in the terms of the way that Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, because here's what we know is that Lazarus died again. Um, But Jesus did not, has not, will not. This is a full and complete resurrection that God has brought about for Jesus. It says in verse 20 that God, he, God, worked in Christ when God raised Jesus from the dead. That is the power with which we are dealing when we're discussing God. It doesn't, it doesn't end there though. It moves right into his second proof in verse 20. It says, and he seated him, God seated Jesus at the right hand in the heavenly places. And we discussed this a little bit on Sunday, but we don't really put a lot of stock in, in, in where people are sitting. But in the ancient world, man, where you sat at a banquet or at a party, spoke volumes to the way in which the host viewed you, right? And so that God sets Jesus at his right hand, I almost went to the left side, but at his right hand um, tells us exactly who Jesus is. The right hand is the most important spot. It is the place of honor. It is the place of power. It is the most important spot. And God set Jesus there at his right hand. And not only did he Set, give Jesus a seat. He also gave Jesus a footrest, which is the four or the third out of our four proofs. 
um, it says that in verse 22, he put all things under Jesus's feet, all things under Jesus's feet. And again, um, this is a very, uh, very militaristic, very powerful thing that Jesus is given here. Um, think of it as like he has all of his enemies as like a footrest, right? So Jesus is just kicking back in the right hand, the seat of power with his feet propped up on everything that he has beaten, everything that he has conquered, um, because, because that's what Jesus does, that he conquers by God's power. Everything, every single thing that comes into our lives is under Christ's power, right? And sometimes that can be tricky to hear because sometimes things come in our lives that we don't want or that we're really confused about or that seem like they're not the best thing for us. But, um, but we can take comfort in the fact that, that everything that does come in, it's under his power. It's under his control that, that there is a greater plan. Not necessarily that he is causing those things. I don't necessarily believe that Jesus causes those things, but that he allows those things and he can redeem those things because they are all under his power. That's the third proof. And the, the fourth and final proof is that God anointed Jesus to be head over all things. And the text says, for the church. Now I'm, I'm using the ESV and it says to the church. In the Greek, the word is the same, right? Um, it, and so sometimes you can translate it to, sometimes you can translate it for. And um, this is where it can get and be a little bit confusing. Um, but I like, I like the concept of for a little bit better and the idea of for and what that means. Because what that means to me and the way that we can use for here is that God anointed Jesus to be head over all things on behalf of the church, right? So everything that happens, everything that is going on that comes into our lives, Jesus has power over for the purpose of the church, for the purpose of making the church better, for the improvement of the church, for the success and the growth of the church. Um, one thing that I that I love here is that um, that in Christ, and this is this is kind of the uh, verse twenty three here, which is His body um, to all things. Uh, all, over all things for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And I think what Paul's saying here is that in Christ, um, in Jesus, the original design for humanity has been restored. Um, you, can, you can see this uh, theme really tracing out in Luke. Um, you can see this um, a lot of the, uh, in, uh, in, excuse me, in spaces in Romans and in Galatians as well, um, that, that one of the things that Jesus did and accomplish is the things that Adam fell short in doing all the way back in the Garden of Eden. And in so doing, Jesus restored the original design for humanity, right? That he showed us what it meant to be fully human. He gave us a pathway to do that and he empowers us to do that as well. And that's kind of like this discipleship journey that we're on, this process of sanctification. It is the, 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 the road back to, or the track back to what it means to be human, right? In, in, in all of the right ways, not a human tainted by or controlled by sin or death, but a human who is fully redeemed by God, fully um, empowered by God. That's what Christ showed us. He restored that in us, and he gave us the capacity and the ability to go forward and do that in ourselves. Because here's the thing, 
that the concept of the church being Jesus's bride is used all throughout the New Testament. And I've been married for uh, almost six years now. And um, one thing that I've learned is that part of a successful marriage, um, of which there are a lot of things, and and you um, out here listening to this may be able to attest to this even more so than I am, but uh, or that than I can. But part of a successful marriage is um, one thing is communication, but um, one thing that I've learned is that like doing what is best for my wife. And you may be thinking like, well, yeah, duh, Shane, that's a stupid thing. Um, I'm slow, okay? So sometimes it takes me a while, but not just like doing the best for my wife, but but arranging things in such a way that my wife is in the best state to succeed, right? And so my wife is a photographer and um, for the the entirety of our relationship, she's kind of had this side hustle as a photographer, but um, as Janessa grows up and we begin to think about future kids, one thing that we want is uh, is for Samantha to be able to step out of her other job and to lean fully into full-time photography. And so um, in order for me to be able to do that well for my wife, to partner with her in that and to set her up in such a way that she can succeed at doing that, there are some sacrifices that I have to make. Like we have to invest in a new camera, um, which is not cheap, but it will allow her to do her job better. It, um, we have to invest in some uh, a computer that allows her to edit quickly and some editing software that also allows her to edit quickly. There are things and sacrifices that must be made um, in order for my bride to succeed. And, and, and that's what Jesus is doing here. That's what Paul says that Jesus is doing here for us, that God anointed Christ to be head over all things for the church, right? The bride of Christ is led by her husband, Jesus. And Jesus is arranging and working things in such a way that the church succeeds. Because guys, when the church succeeds, when the church is faithful, when the church looks good, Jesus looks good, right? And and God looks good. And that's what all of this is for and about anyway, is to bring glory and honor to God for all of the things that he has done. And so Jesus is working in it. And, and sometimes it doesn't seem that way because sometimes, um, you know, persecution happens. But but when we look at the life of Jesus, maybe we shouldn't be surprised about the fact that persecution happens because Jesus literally said, like, if anyone would deny himself and um, or if anyone would follow after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow after me. And that was like Jesus saying, like, hey, to to follow me means to sacrifice and to suffer and to die. Right, and you can read all of the stories in Acts of the church growing through persecution. Right, but that's that's what we're talking about here. It doesn't look pretty or comfortable or pleasant, but if Jesus did it, why should we expect anything less from us? God anointed Jesus to be head over all things on behalf of, for the benefit of, for the church, and and those are the four proofs that God gives us or that Paul gives us of God's power, that God raised Jesus from the dead, that he seated Jesus at his right hand, that God placed all things under Jesus' feet, and that God anointed Jesus to be the head over all things on behalf of or for the church. That is the power of God that we're dealing with here. So let me give you or recap for you the three quick takeaways that that Jim gave us out of this passage. God's power is unmatched. Nothing, nowhere, um, know how it uh, can or does even come close to scratching the surface of God's 
power, right? I think that one is pretty obvious. The second one is that God's power is largely unseen. There are obviously like really, really big things that happen in our world where it's like, wow, God is powerful. Like, uh, you know, when a hurricane hits, like that is a manifestation of God's power. Or when, whenever, you know, a volcano erupts or all of these things, like these are certainly manifestations of God's power. But the biggest, the biggest things that exercise God's power are largely unseen. Like we're not seeing Jesus seated at the right hand of God, and we're not seeing God placing all things under Jesus' feet, and we're not necessarily seeing God anointing Jesus as the head over all things for the church. But those are the biggest manifestations of God's power. So whenever you feel like, man, what is what is going on here? When you're feeling purposeless, whenever you're feeling like, man, nothing, nothing seems to be making sense, like lean into these verses here and remind yourself of who God is and what he's done for you and the power that he has and the way that he is, is leveraging that power for our collective benefit. And, and the final thing that I want you to take away from this, that we want you to take away from this, is that God's power is ours, right? Which is just to me, inconceivable, right? That, that all of these things um, are, are given to us. Um, that, whoo, that's like scary almost, you know, when you think about it, it's like, all, yeah, gosh, the same power that created and flooded the earth and did the plagues and uh, d- divided the Red Sea and that walked Jesus out of the grave is, is open and available to us. Not that we get to control it and dictate it, but that whenever it's needed and it's, it's uh, necessary for accomplishing all of the things that, that God lays before us to accomplish, which we're going to talk about next week, um, the power is not our own power. It's not coming from us. It's coming from the same God who's done all of, all of these things. So this week, if you're feeling overwhelmed, if you don't know where to start or, or where to stop or what to stop or how to stop or, or how to start, um, man, just lean into these verses um, and maybe even sneak, sneak a peek at chapter two because I think that Paul's going to give us even more uh, proof of the power of God. And he's been talking about that specifically in regards to Jesus in verse one, but he's going to shift his focus to verse two next week. Little sneak peek. You were dead. You were dead. Just think about that word were. You were but now you're not. And we'll get to talk about that more next week. And I'm excited, excited, excited to dive into that with you. So thank you for giving us a little bit of time this uh, uh, today, this week, as, as we dive into and dig around in this. Um, if you haven't already, make sure that you subscribe so that you uh, get these sent straight to your device um, every week when they load. Um, go ahead and like this video, subscribe to either our YouTube channel or any one of our podcast platforms on whatever device it is that you use with us. And um, know that we love you and that we really do appreciate you watching this and participating in this adventure with us. If there's anything that we can uh, tweak, anything that we can do better, anything that we need to be praying about with you and for you, please, please, please don't hesitate to let us know those things as well. Um, We love you guys, and we'll see you next week.